I guess our vision is really to make networking invisible, where secure connectivity is just fundamentally built in, and it's not something that you ever want to have to, to manage or configure. If you think about social media, Instagram lets you grant access to your private feed just by user. So a good way to think about it is we let developers build that same sort of capability into any network asset that they're deploying out there in the marketplace. What we imagine as a world out there, this whole idea of managing networks, it becomes a much more boutique type of thing where everything just works like the internet, except everybody's able to see their private assets as well as their public assets just because of who they are. This is Rio Koyama. I'm founder and CEO of Remoted. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Six months moonlighting. There's nothing at the back end who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know what to do next. took many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. Our company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of our team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, Mike. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really it's want it. Not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Labpart, and today, how Rio Koyama is revolutionizing network management by giving you connectivity as code. This episode is sponsored by KiteWorks. Legacy-managed file transfer tools lack proper security, putting sensitive data at risk. With KiteWorks MFT, companies can send automated or ad hoc files in a fully integrated, highly secure manner. The solution is FedRAMP moderate authorized by the Department of Defense and has been so since 2017. Step into the future of secure managed file transfer with KiteWorks. Visit KiteWorks.com to get started. This episode is sponsored by ClearQuery. ClearQuery is the Analytics for Humans platform. With their full suite of features, you can go from data ingestion to automated insights seamlessly. With Ask ClearQuery, you can find valuable insights into your data using plain English. Don't miss the opportunity to simplify your data analytics with ClearQuery. Get started today at clearquery.io slash codestory. Ryo Koyama never thought he would be in technology. In the past, and in current days, he's very much into art, photography, and woodworking. Eventually, he went on to be a product manager for graphics cards and has been in tech since. He has two adult daughters and at one point coached high school basketball in Palo Alto. Ryo and his co-founder have both been in networking for a very long time. They noticed that the internet was going to make this part of the industry, i.e. networking, invisible. They decided to encore some of their prior work to create connectivity as code. This is the creation story of Remoted. Myself and my co-founder, Mike Johnson, our first startup, which was acquired by NVIDIA, and we did the first silicon implementation of the TCP IP stack. And really what we had saw at that time was that the internet was going to make networking really pervasive and it's just going to be everywhere. At the time, networking was still very much something that you added on to compute resources and it was not something that you just invisibly had to have there. And we saw that it was going to become indispensable. Remote is really our encore to that. 
as we did that, we had a lot of relatively large engagements, especially in kind of the early IoT area when NTT Docomo first did a TCP IP based network. It was called iMode over CDMA and thousands of different products happened to use our stack. And we really saw that the challenge was not only getting the connection, but getting connectivity. And so the premise really is that we, we called our base technology connectivity as code. What it means is networking and connectivity right now is a very manual process. Someone has to do it. You have to rely on somebody to manage it, configure it, and, and really the more difficult pieces maintain it because things change all the time. We really don't see a world where that works, especially as networking has become invisible. Everybody needs that to happen. What we really wanted to do is say, hey, let's just have code that just does that all for you, where you don't ever have to work that way and it's just available to you. Interestingly, as we've been going down this journey, though, even though we call our base technology connectivity as code, what we're really finding is our solution, the product itself, really falls much more into the no-code movement, where people want all of these things in the field, but they don't ever want to have to touch them. And so they just want simple solutions that manage all of that, where they don't have to worry about anything from just connectivity to the security around that, to all those elements. Think of it as uh, no code for connectivity. Everything you need to do and so that you never have to worry about it ever again. Let's dive into the MVP then. Tell me about that first version of the product you built. How long did it take to build and what sort of tools were you using to bring it to life? It's very interesting. When we first started out, so after NVIDIA acquired our company, Mike and I were thinking about what do we want to do next? And one of the things that's happened is we were each installing network surveillance equipment at our homes. And there's this concept called port forwarding, and that's where you essentially open up your network to the internet so you can view your cameras. And being networking folks, we thought we don't really want to expose ourselves to the internet. And so we came up with this technology that essentially allowed you to essentially embed all the connectivity. Because Although networking is thought of in the world today as very much a hardware thing, because people think of companies like Cisco, Juniper, or whatever the case might be, it's really just software, right? And so we came up with this concept and said, oh, look, here's a secure way where we can get access to our equipment anywhere we are in the world. And it's a lot easier than having to manually configure the router every time Comcast decides to change your IP address. But then once we did that, we thought there must be companies that are interested in this. And so it turned out that there are a number of companies that were looking for this type of solution, really for point solutions. And when we started this company, it was just going to be us. We were just going to go do this. We were licensing this technology out. We were solving problems for cellular modem companies, surveillance equipment companies. And so our MVP was pretty straightforward because we had customers, large customer engagements, where we were just solving the problems for what their use case was. And along the way, the, the more difficult thing we had to do was think, oh, at some point, this will likely be much more horizontal. So let's make sure that we don't hamstring ourselves by building something that's very narrowly focused. And so in this era, it's probably unusual, but a lot of our technology is built in C, right? So highly portable type of environment so we could move it around. And it turned out to be a pretty good decision just because it allowed us to keep the code small, very efficient, and very portable to all the different environments. Okay, let's stay on the MVP for a minute. When you're building any MVP, you got to make certain decisions and trade-offs around, you talked about tech choices, but maybe around um, feature limitation or acceptance of tech debt to kind of prove that point. So tell me about some of those you had to work through and, and specifically how you coped with those decisions. You know, one of the best pieces of advice I ever received was that somebody said, look, there's a thousand things to say yes to, but the real difficult things are what are the things to say no to? 
I think often when you're, especially working with a customer, you are very prone to customers always right. But in a lot of cases, especially if you're a startup, what you have to do is you have to believe in what your vision is. And if you don't do that, then I think you're heading down a slippery slope where maybe it's the ultimate imposter syndrome, but I think you have to have conviction in what you believe. And so one of the things that we thought was going to be fundamentally important was ensuring base security, making sure this stuff is very secure. Whereas a lot of times a lot of customers would say, that's really not important at this time. And so it was a difficult thing for us because we ended up essentially building features in that at the time we were not really being able to monetize because different customers didn't need those at the time. But as, as the market evolved, as things like cybersecurity became a much bigger focus point and people started to realize that leaving things exposed on the internet is a terrible idea, we already had the baseline. And in a lot of cases, they were very grateful because they had redeployed something that was highly scalable, that they didn't have to patch or do anything like that. But at the time, the irony is that now I've, we, we can sit back and say, gosh, we were smart. We knew it. We talked them into doing it. But at the time, it's very difficult to tell a customer that they're wrong. And um, sometimes you have to stick to your convictions there. This episode is sponsored by Cashfly. The web is a competitive place. And if your site delivers its content pixelated, slow, or not at all, well, then you lose. But that's where Cashfly comes in. Cashfly delivers rich media content up to 159% faster than other major CDNs. Through ultra-low latency streaming, lightning-fast gaming, and optimized mobile content, the company offers a variety of benefits. For over 20 years, Cashfly has held a track record for high-performing, ultra-reliable content delivery. While competitors call themselves fast or use cute animal names... Only Cashfly holds the record of being the fastest and serves customers like Adobe, the NFL, or Roblox, where content is created by users and must be delivered in real time. For the first time ever, Code Story listeners can get a 5-terabyte CDN for free. Yep, you heard that right, free. Learn more at cashfly.com slash codestory. That's C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com slash codestory. This episode is sponsored by KiteWorks. Legacy managed file transfer tools are dated and lack the security that today's remote workforce demands. Companies that continue relying on outdated technology put their sensitive data at risk. And that's where KiteWorks comes in. KiteWorks MFT is absolutely the most secure MFT on the market today. It has been FedRAMP moderate authorized by the Department of Defense since 2017. Through FedRAMP, KiteWorks level of security compliance provides a fast route to CMMC compliance, saving customers time, effort, and money. KiteWorks MFT makes it easy for users to send automated or ad hoc files via fully integrated shared folders and email. Administrators can manage policies in a unified console and create custom integrations using their API. Did we mention it's secure? The level of security with KiteWorks solution is rare to find. Step into the future of secure managed file transfer with KiteWorks. Visit KiteWorks.com to get started. That's K-I-T-E-W-O-R-K-S dot com. From that MVP then, I'm curious about moving forward, right? You've got the MVP, it's working. How did you build your roadmap? How did you go about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or to address with Remote? For us, it really came down to market segmentation. Again, early on for us, what happened was really the mobile movement, right? So once you had mobile networks, the, the unique thing about most cellular networks is 
They have what's called CGNAT, and that doesn't mean anything to almost anybody in the world, but there are no IP addresses on most cellular networks. It's a private network. So if you think about it, everybody's home Wi-Fi has a 192.168 or a 10.0 type of address. And so there's a set of numbers of IP addresses that are reserved for mobile companies. But what that means is that most cell phones don't get those addresses. So when a lot of industrial folks transition to using a, a cellular network, things like VPNs that they were doing in the past all of a sudden broke and no one understood why. Early on, we solved those problems. And then what we did is we said, okay, what are the markets that are likely to need this sort of capability? And what are the markets that we're gonna get more and more complex networks? And so what we did was said, okay, here are the markets that need that capability. So we went from industrial IoT to network type of equipment to surveillance type of equipment. But then ultimately now we spend a lot of time in the cloud environment. And although it's not obvious, every time you deploy different things in the cloud, you have multiple networks cascaded within themselves. And so getting access to those endpoints tends to be difficult. And really, if you have some sort of automated way to do that, it makes sense. And so what we did is we took our base technology and then really it just came down to how do you make that applicable to the markets? I guess we think of ourselves as the manufacturer of great denim. And we really think about which fashion areas are likely to really embrace our denim. And so that's the way that we like to look at the markets. Tell me about team. How did you go about building your team? And what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? I, I think we're pretty lucky. Uh, again, Mike Johnson, I mentioned, is my co-founder. And we've known each other since our first jobs out of college. And not too long after that, we started our first company. We were very fortunate to be 20-something founders during the whole dot-com era. We've done this startup journey for our whole lives. We've raised our children. And, and I think the unique thing that gives us is that we know our blind spots and we know them intimately. And I like to joke that I, I've known Mike longer than his wife has known him. How we go about our team building is knowing our blind spots. I, I think the most important thing is uh, complementing that and building an organization that really solves those problems. But at the same time, we really want to find people who are passionate about product, right? And solving problems and maybe solving problems that that people either don't see or don't think are solvable. And I think if you want to build a strong team, the, the most important thing is obviously finding passion, finding very complementary people in terms of, are they covering for each other's blind spots? And at the same time, people who are open to hearing new ideas. And I think we've been extraordinarily fortunate in that side. You have to find good people because these are the people you're going to spend an inordinate amount of time with. I think in, in most corporate America, you People always talk about the separation of your life and, and work. I, I think startup is very different. If these are not people that you look forward to having 20, 30, 40-year reunions with, then that's probably the wrong people to build a startup from. Hello. Welcome to the Data Analytics Club. Do you know the password? No, I didn't know there was one. Do you know how to code? Uh, no. Do you know how to query data? Like, ask a question? I guess not. Hmm, I see. Then you can't be in this club. Sorry. Goodbye. Don't be left out of the analytics club. ClearQuery is the analytics for humans platform. With their full suite of features, you can go from data ingestion to automated insights seamlessly. ClearQuery provides you with the information you need without requiring you to do the heavy lifting. 
Their Ask Clear Query feature allows you to ask questions in plain English, helping you find relationships and connections in your data that may have previously gone unnoticed. You can even visualize your data with presentation mode, taking your data storytelling to the next level. Pricing is based on storage, not licenses, and that ensures that you get the most bang for your buck. Don't miss the opportunity to simplify data analytics, your data analytics, with ClearQuery. Get started today at clearquery.io slash codestory. This episode is sponsored by Cashfly. The web is a competitive place, and if your site delivers its content pixelated, slow, or not at all, well, then you lose. But that's where Cashfly comes in. Cashfly delivers rich media content up to 159% faster than other major CDNs. Through ultra-low latency streaming, lightning-fast gaming, and optimized mobile content, the company offers a variety of benefits. For over 20 years, Cashfly has held a track record for high-performing, ultra-reliable content delivery. While competitors call themselves fast or use cute animal names, only Cashfly holds the record of being the fastest and serves customers like Adobe, the NFL, or Roblox, where content is created by users and must be delivered in real time. For the first time ever, Code Story listeners can get a 5-terabyte CDN for free. Yep, you heard that right, free. Learn more at cashfly.com slash codestory. That's C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com slash codestory. This question will be interesting given what you're what you're building, and I'm I'm really curious to hear how you went about it. So, tell me about scalability. I'm looking for, you know, really it could be either technological scalability or or company. I'm curious about technology for sure, but I think there's great stories in both. So, tell me about how you approach scalability, and were there any areas where you had to sort of fight it as you grow? Definitely both. And ironically, they fit in each of the buckets that you talked about. When we were at the napkin stage of the company, I remember one of our first investors was a gentleman by the name of Shinya Akamini, who was one of the founders of Postini. But I remember we sat down at a sushi restaurant and we were talking and it was funny because the conversation went okay. And then as we were leaving, we headed our separate ways and all of a sudden he yells at and he stops. He goes, hey, wait, come back. He goes, I, I think I finally get it. Are you saying connectivity should be like DNS and it should work everywhere? And I said, yeah, that's exactly it. If you look at the internet today, the internet is successful because you can type code story and you can get to it anywhere on the internet. Now, underneath that is extraordinarily complicated, right? Somebody had to take the domain, map it to an IP address. There's all kinds of routing that happens through like BGP, where it turns all the packets get everywhere. But if you look at private networking today, that's just not the case, right? Somebody has to configure something. They have to set up a firewall. They have to worry about the routing rules. All these things don't make sense. Our belief was that at some point, you're essentially going to have a virtual private internet. There's going to be a version of the internet that Noah and only Noah should see, and it should be easy to get to. You should be able to get to all the public endpoints, and you should be able to get to all your private endpoints just because of who you are or just because of the equipment that's connecting to it. And because of that sort of our fundamental belief, and that's what we were going to ultimately deliver to the market, I think we were fortunate from a technical standpoint because we said we always just had that in our mind. If it doesn't scale like DNS, it's not going to work. And so we've built a very high, highly scalable type of solution. I think where we ran into challenges is it's the ultimate toolbox. Every single day, literally, we'll have people trying to solve different problems. 
And usually the answer is, yeah, we can make it work. But if you're really trying to deploy in a market and get scalability, you have to become myopic and you say, hey, which of the markets are we trying to solve and how do we solve them completely? And it turns out that if you're trying to solve a thousand different use cases completely with 10 people, that's not a good idea. Where the scale challenge ends up coming is, again, what do you say no to, right? Here are the thousand opportunities that have showed up over the last month. How can we narrow that down or how can we provide a solution which addresses more of those? Or ultimately, the more difficult thing is how do we ignore 990 of them and focus on the 10 that we think are going to move the needle the most? And I think that's always a perpetual challenge in the market. Okay, so as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built thus far with Remote, what are you most proud of? I think we're most proud of the fact that people have started to believe our dystopia. And what I mean by that is when we first started out, our solution was very much, our audience was people who understood networking. And so people who knew how to configure routers, people who knew how to set up routing, setting up all kinds of configuration pieces. But now our audience is people that feel that that should be taken care of, right? Because if you look at just literally the last 25 years, everything is connected now, right? Like we, we can't go to Costco and buy a piece of equipment that's not connected and not be frustrated if it's not, right? And obviously smartphones and everything has changed that sort of transition. And so if I'm most proud about something is that we've made invisible, we've made networking invisible, right? So people just come to us and says, oh yeah, we, what we love most about your solution is that we don't have to deal with networking anymore. Right, like you saw all those pieces for us. And so I, I guess I'm most proud of the fact that the vision that we imagine is actually coming true. Okay, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. I think the biggest mistake we probably made is not trusting ourselves, right? And so one of the partnerships that we had was a very large uh, telecom carrier and they were reselling our solution. So at some point we just said, gosh, Maybe we're the tail, right? And we really allowed them to drive the marketplace. And it goes back to one of the questions you asked earlier. And so we definitely had our own vision of the marketplace. And it was different than how a cellular provider might think of it. A cellular provider, number one, is very large. And then number two, they have key metrics, which is about kind of retention, how to keep subscribers going. And so it's a very different thing than, let's say, market development of a new emerging market. And I'd say... The biggest challenge we ended up doing was instead of, we had to walk away from that type of distribution relationship and say, okay, let's do this ourselves. Let's go after the markets that we believe in and let's make that happen. It's been the best decision we ever made. And I I think the number one thing I always try to tell startups, but I, I guess I don't always listen to my own advice is that you have to put yourself in charge of your own destiny. And if you don't, the probability of success, I think gets exponentially smaller. And I I don't think people just don't realize how different it is when you're going to rely on somebody else versus relying on yourself. Okay, this will be fun. Tell me what the future looks like for Remote, you know, the product and for your team. I guess our vision is really to make networking invisible, where secure connectivity is just fundamentally built in. And it's not something that you ever want to have to, to manage or configure going forward. In the internet world today, if you think about social media, Instagram lets you grant access to your private feed just by user. So a good way to think about it is we let developers build that same sort of capability into any network asset that they're deploying out there in the marketplace. 
And so what we imagine as a world out there is that this whole idea of managing networks, it becomes a much more boutique type of thing where everything just works like the internet, except everybody's able to see their private assets as well as their public assets wherever they are just because of who they are. I guess from a technical standpoint, our goal is really to do for secure access what GitHub did for code repos by really moving it into the CIDC workflow so that backend network and IT management overhead can essentially go away forever. Rio, let's switch to you. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why. Let's see. Professionally, um, I was very lucky. Early in my career, I got to work with my, a gentleman named Mark Weiser. Mark Weiser at the time was the chief scientist at Xerox Park. So this is mid-90s. So obviously sort of peak part after they were able to invent a lot of things. And, and he coined this idea of ubiquitous computing, which is that we are heading into an era where computing is invisible and people don't realize that. And obviously that has manifested and and made itself true. And I'd say that I've always taken that inspiration in terms of how networking should work, because networking is very much front and center in terms of the complexity of it, but I don't think it needs to be. And so I guess I really admire professionally the fact that he had a vision and he could see it. So I I definitely aim towards it that way. I, I think on a very personal level, In 1968, my father arrived from Japan to the United States with $500 and a dream. He imagined a future which, ironically, there are very few people that immigrate from Japan like that. And so I really do appreciate the fact that he saw something, and I definitely benefit from that, and my sisters benefit from that, and we've been able to have a life that we probably never might have happened if he didn't have that same sort of vision. And then ultimately... Ironically, to go first full circle on that piece, my, my daughters keep me extraordinarily humble every day because your children in many ways are a mirror and a manifestation of the lessons that you've tried to teach them. But at the same time, it's quite humbling because they see you far more than you will ever see yourself. And so if you're fortunate enough to be able to have good dialogue with your children, that is where your greatest self-growth will come from. So we talked about a mistake earlier. This is a little different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? doesn't have to be something that went wrong. could have even worked well, but maybe you'd tweak it a little bit. I think the most important thing for a startup and a startup founder is that you are in charge of the accelerator pedal. And I think too often that's lost. You'll hear companies talk about the market wasn't ready. I don't think that's ever really true. I talked a lot about how our journey has been very centered especially early on, I'd say two-thirds of our history early on was just solving customers' problems, right? But we always had a fundamental belief of the greater market problem that we're going to try to solve. So ironically, I would have taken a far less safe route. I, I think instead of going out, getting contracts, getting paid for doing that, and keeping that level of sustainability, I would have trusted the vision, and I would have said, let's make that happen. And let's manifest that in the marketplace by going out and not being afraid to articulate that and make that reality. I think if you look at every extraordinarily successful startup out there, their success you can attribute to the fact that they had a trust in their convictions, which meant that there's always going to be nine naysayers for every one, or probably 999 for every one person who believes in that. 
but it's because they don't have the perspective that you do. Startup founders who are successful, if they trust their perspective, I'm not, and, and I think this is a case where perception is often the enemy of perspective. If you look at something today, if it, it'll never make sense. If you are clearly understanding what the future looks like, then you're probably going to have the right solutions. I would say for us and for myself, I'd say, you know what? The vision is starting to come true, but I 100% believe that it could have come true much sooner if we just trusted in our own convictions and just went down that path. Last question, Rio. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world and can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? I think the biggest thing that I would say is that a startup has to be a savant. And what that means is that it has to be brilliant at something. And for a startup entrepreneur, I think the biggest risk is that you become too thoughtful. And I know that sounds ironic, but you just have to be brilliant. If you are not spending 99.99% of yourself doing the things that only you can do, you are not helping your company. And I think that's hard. Like one of the things I say is I go, if, if I have to do due diligence on a four-person startup and their reporting is really good, I actually give that a red flag, right? Because it shouldn't be good, right? It's a negative indicator. So for an entrepreneur that's starting out, I, I really say that, you have to do what you are exceptionally gifted to do because that's why somebody is going to invest in you. That's why somebody has invested in you. That's definitely a lesson I learned. I mentioned before, I was fortunate enough to be one of those 20-something CEOs. And when I went off and sold PowerPoint to Sony, Seiko, Toshiba, Agilent, got all these contracts. And then ironically, what I joke about is I go, and the mistake I made was then I said, oh, I better go back and do work now. But really, I should have spent all my time continuing to sell what we were doing and why we were doing it and manifest that market dynamic shift as opposed to going back and reviewing project schedules and doing those sorts of things. I think the biggest mistake that most entrepreneurs do, because they're usually very versatile and very capable of doing things, is they start doing things that somebody else can do. And if you can pay somebody to do something, you should just do that. That's fantastic advice. I, I support that wholeheartedly. Real, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Remote It. Thank you, Noah. I loved being on here. And this concludes another chapter of Coat Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.